0: Good morning. If you are in the fifth grade or younger, there is a special service. Wow, look at them go. There's a service downstairs. <laughs> Sitting on the edge of their seats with bated breath. <laughs> I'd like the rest of you to turn with me and your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And this morning... Uh, we're going to move into a new uh, area where uh, Luke has uh, brought together for us a number of situations where Jesus runs into conflict with the religious leadership of his day. Now, just to give you some of of the uh, cultural and geographical setting, Jesus is still in the Galilean region, uh, up around Capernaum. That's where he has been teaching and uh, working miracles and doing amazing things. And so he's still in that area. This is relatively early in his public ministry, which lasts about three and a half years, three, three and a half years. Rowena was commenting to me yesterday, we were th- just thinking about things, and she said, uh, you know, this March we will have been in uh, our home here for 10 years. And I thought, wow, so <laughs> uh, time has really gone fast, uh, 10 years that we've been there. We measure time kind of like that, and we think about the quick passage of it, we talk about Jesus having a public ministry of three to three and a half years before his crucifixion. And it is amazing how quickly that three and a half years will pass uh, for the most important event in history. It seems like a very short time, doesn't it? And this uh, section sets up for us the tension and the conflict that begins to build, which actually ultimately leads to his arrest and crucifixion. Um, It's as far as uh, Galilee and as early as the first year of public ministry that the Pharisees begin gunning for Jesus, if I can put it that way. And uh, so in the midst of this passage this morning that includes a number of conflicts, Jesus introduces this parable about new wine and old wineskins and uh, new material from a new garment sewn on an old one. And it's a very peculiar kind of parable, but it goes to the heart of the issue that he is introducing a brand new way of relationship with God. And that new way is going to eclipse the Old Testament. Uh, not negate it, but go beyond it and bring us to what was really intended through the gospel. So it's a, it's a challenging passage. I want to ask you to do something a little different this morning. Um, <clears throat> this is a, a fairly long passage. It's an entire chapter. And uh, in order for us to give our attention to it and to uh, break up our uh, comfort zone right now and uh, refocus on the scripture, I'm going to ask you, if you're able, to stand with me as I read beginning in chapter 5, verse 12. Will you stand? I'm reading from uh, the New American Standard Bible starting in verse 12, and you can follow along in your Bible or in the printed text of your study guide. While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be uh, healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray one day he was teaching and there were some pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of galilee and judea and from jerusalem and the power of the lord was present for him to perform healing and some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of him or in front of jesus but Not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and led him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you? Or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen remarkable things today. After that, he went out and noticed the tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house, and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John often fast and offer prayers, and the disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, You cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. And he was also telling them a parable. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins skins. And no one after drinking old wine wishes for the new because he says, The old is good enough. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Now it happened that while he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath and his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating the grain, but some of the Pharisees said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry, how he and those who were with him entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priest alone, and gave it to his companions? And he was saying to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath, so they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. He got up and came forward, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, you notice as we read through these stories and i hope by now i'm wearing myself out repeating perhaps when i say stories i'm not referring to fiction i'm referring to narrative accounts that are in fact stories about what jesus did And as we read through these stories if uh you saw the the building kind of climax toward that last verse they decided to get a, get together and talk about what they could do to him that the conflict begins to build throughout this section as one thing after another puts Jesus at odds with the Pharisees and with the religious leaders. One of the first things that happens uh, after the healing of this man with leprosy is that as he's teaching in the house, um, these uh, four men, another gospel tells us, uh, four men bring a man who is totally paralyzed. Apparently, uh, he could not move arms or legs. And uh, he's lying on his sleeping mat, and they kind of pick him up and they bring him to Jesus. And they can't get in. So they go up on the roof and they let him down right in front of Jesus. And uh, as Jesus looks at this man, he says, Friend, Your sins are forgiven. Now, that's a little bit of an odd statement, don't you think? Uh, Here's a fellow who comes who wants to be healed. He's paralyzed. And Jesus starts talking to him about sin. Well, let me say that I'm going to go into detail uh, in the next couple weeks over these individual scenarios. Um, This morning I want to give us an overview of what's going on in this building conflict. And then we'll come back and kind of take a microscope to some of these situations. But the fact that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, immediately drew a reaction from the Pharisees. They were so irritated. Um, They said, who can forgive sins except God? This is blasphemy. And so Jesus uh, asked them a very perceptive question. He says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, rise up and walk. Now, think about that for a moment. If you consider the question, it's easier to say, but harder to do, your sins are forgiven. No one can forgive sin, really, except God. That's, that's the reality of the case. But it's easy to say it, because whatever transpires happens in the unseen realm. And you have no idea if it's true or not. You know, I could go around every one of you and say, Bless you, my child, your sins are forgiven. It wouldn't mean a thing. Uh, It's easy to say that. But it's not very easy to say, Get up and walk to a paralytic. Because if he doesn't get up and walk, You're a liar and a fool. And so Jesus draws them out in this situation. He says, look, the, the root problem of this situation is sin, and I'm dealing with this problem at its root. But so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority, he turned and said to the paralytic, Get up, take up your mat, and go. Uh, you, are, you are healed. And the guy does it, and it's pretty astounding. By the way, as an aside, and I've made this point once before, but I make it again, Sometimes I have people say to me, and they say it in sort of a challenging way, does Jesus ever claim to be God? And when you read the Gospels, you will never find the words coming out of his mouth, I am the Lord God, Jehovah Almighty. He he never says that. But if you're a Jew... (laughs) He says things and does things that are so conclusive that there is absolutely no doubt left in anyone's mind that he was fully revealing himself as God. So that you can know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. All right, who can forgive sin? No one but God. And yet Jesus says, So you can know that I have that authority to the lame man get up and walk is tantamount to saying, and I am God, I have authority to do this, I have the the ability. And so the man gets up and walks. Now, the Pharisees are a little bit put off because they don't know quite how to nail him down on this. But the conflict goes on. Uh, The next thing that he does to irritate them is he's uh, at this stage in his ministry building a group of followers, a group of disciples, And as he does so, he leaves this place and Levi, whom we know as Matthew, is sitting in the tax booth and he says, come follow me. What? A tax collector? No one was more despicable in in the Jewish culture and life than a tax collector. As far as they were concerned, he was a traitor to his people. He had aligned himself with Rome. Many times, part of the motivation for doing so was the opportunity to collect more taxes than were necessary and uh, hence to make yourself rich. And uh, they kind of looked at these people as, as the uh, ultimate outcast. They had joined forces with Rome uh, to oppose and oppress their own people. So guess who, if you're a tax collector, your friends are? Well, you don't have any friends among the mainstream of Jewish life. Your friends are other tax collectors and other people on the outside of society that are ostracized by the Jews. And so uh, Levi leaves his tax booth and follows Jesus. He's so thrilled at the invitation that he's been given and so uh, changed in his heart that he throws a banquet and he invites everybody he knows all the other tax collectors you know and all these other people and and he invites them in to come and have a big banquet and invites jesus and his disciples the pharisees can't imagine this what is he doing in their mind religious faith and devotion was Uh, defined by adherence to the law, by prayers, by rituals, by devotion uh, to, you know, the finer points, uh, how well you kept everything just so. And here Jesus is calling people to be his followers who are known outcasts that have not shown any religious devotion as far as he's concerned. And in fact, many of them have taken advantage of their own people. Jesus is laying down a new requirement for having a relationship with God. It is not based on how well you keep the rules. It is based on repentance and faith. Anyone who meets that criteria is welcome in the fellowship with Jesus Christ. And so what does Matthew do? He repents. He leaves the booth. And he demonstrates faith because he follows Jesus. And that is all that is necessary to bring him into relationship with the one who is teaching a new doctrine about God. Well, the Pharisees just can't understand that. In fact, they complain about him eating with them. They complain to his disciples about, you're not religious. John's disciples, um, they practice all the right things. They fast and they pray and Your disciples don't do any of this. In fact, they're eating and drinking with these people, these ugly, despicable people all the time. And um, there's nothing, by the way, in the Gospels to suggest that they were gluttonous and drunkards. The accusation may be leveled, but there's nothing to suggest that they are. That would be um, kind of inconsistent with the lifestyle that is uh, clearly taught in the Gospels. But, the fact is, they're enjoying Jesus, they're enjoying fellowship, they're enjoying this whole new relaxed mode of, of being with the Son of God and having this communion with each other, this kind of fellowship, and, and, and they're learning and they're excited and God is alive in their lives. And the religious leaders just can't figure it out. We pray. We fast. We perform religious duties. We're faithful. We're loyal. What is this you you guys are doing? You don't look like anybody religious. Can I interject something here, just for the sake of clarity? Religion has a particular definition it literally means to do something consistently by the rules or by rote we use the word in a non-faith way by saying like do you brush your teeth religiously (laughs) we don't mean do you pray over your toothbrush We're asking if you do it consistently and regularly as a pattern of your life. Do you do it religiously? It literally means to do the same thing over and over again by rote. And Jesus is literally saying, I am not religious. I am into relationships. I have a whole different purpose and motivation. And and the goal is not to follow the rules over and over and over again the goal is to be in relationship with God and with other people and so he is beginning to draw the line between the old covenant mentality that worship of God is characterized by rule keeping as opposed to Fellowship with God is characterized by an open heart and a life of submission and obedience in harmony and fellowship with the Lord. And so in this instance, Jesus is leading his disciples in a new way of life. And the Pharisees, boy, they can't figure this out. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a first century Jew or a 21st century evangelical, you can be just as guilty of religion and just as ignorant of relationship. And I want to say that it is easier to keep rules than it is to live in a relationship. You may at first want to argue with that. But let me point out That people make up rules that define their faith, which they feel they can keep. The ones they don't do so well, they rationalize their way around. And one way or another, they imagine themselves to be good Christians, or good whatever. And their life is simplified by the fact that they don't have to ever really talk to God about what to do. They just have to open the rule book and find out what's the next step. It is much more difficult to live in a moment-by-moment, hour-by-hour communion with God himself in submission to the Holy Spirit, allowing him to guide you in every situation and depending upon his life and his power. That requires a consistent walk of obedience And faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is easier to live by the rules than it is to live in relationship. Now, when I say easier, what what I mean is you can break it down into something simple. It is actually easier to live in relationship. uh, To go, I'm so glad I'm done with all that rules business. I can just live with the Lord and let him guide my life. But it means you have to pay attention. You have to walk with him. If you don't walk with him, it's not going to be long before you're way off track. You have to keep up the relationship. And that's what Jesus is getting at in this. Finally, on the Sabbath day, two other things that come up is that uh, they're going along on the Sabbath and the disciples are walking by the field and they're taking the heads of grain and they're putting them in their hands and rubbing them to get the outer shell off and they're eating the kernels of grain. They're hungry. Um, They're walking along. They need some, you know, a little starch, a (laughs) little glucose in the system. They need to keep going. And uh, the Pharisees say, what is it they're doing? from a pharisee's mind they're harvesting grain well they're really not they're they're just eating a handful but from their perspective they're harvesting these are people that strain gnats out and swallow camels the pharisees remember what jesus said you, you, you strain it a gnat you swallow a camel I've told you the story before about all these Sabbath rules. There are over 600 Sabbath rules, and you could spit on a rock, but you couldn't spit in the dust. So if you're walking down the road and you needed to spit, you could spit on a rock, but you couldn't spit on the path. You know why? Some of you do. You remember this. Because if you spit on the dust, that makes mud. And mud is a component of mortar, and mortars used to lay bricks, and so you're working. But if you spit on a rock, it evaporates, nothing happens to it. So... So if you spit, you can spit on a rock, but don't spit in the dust. So if you're hungry, don't don't you dare touch the grain because you're harvesting the field. Well, not really, but you may as well be. As far as the Pharisees concerned, you're working on the Sabbath, and Jesus just kind of says, "Time out! Wait a minute, guys! Don't you read your Bibles?" Imagine being a Pharisee and having that question thrown at you. What an insult. <laughs> Don't you read your Bibles? Don't you remember what David did? Now, if you want to go read that, I've given you the reference. It's 1 Samuel chapter 21. You can you can read it this week when you're thinking about the study guide questions. But in 1 Samuel 21, David is kind of running from Saul. He's got a group of guys with him. And they come up uh, to the temple area. And Abimelech is there. Um, And they say, uh, we're hungry, we need some food. Do you have anything here available? (laughs) And Abimelech says, no, the only thing we've got is the consecrated bread that is the bread of the presence on the table before the Lord. That's all that's that's here. (laughs) And David says, that'll do. (laughs) I'll take that. And so he takes this consecrated bread... And he takes it for himself and gives it to his, his uh, company, his men. And Jesus said, didn't you read that story? Don't you know that when he was hungry, he took the bread that only the priest could eat that was consecrated to the Lord and he ate it? And that brought to my mind another story. Do you remember when David was going to move the ark back to Jerusalem? And uh, he, he sent, uh, it was going to be a big parade. And he sends the people after it and they go with an ox cart and they put the ark on the ox cart and they're coming back, uh, pulling the cart, and one of the wheels dips off the edge of the roadway and the cart gets unstable and this fellow walking alongside it puts up his hand to stabilize the ark so it won't fall. And God kills him. He dies dead right on the spot. And David is horrified. He's not only horrified, he's angry. I mean, he, he calls a halt to the parade. He stores the ark away right there. He goes before God and he says, God, what's the deal? I, I mean, I love you. I'm trying to do the best for you. I'm trying to get the ark back. What is the deal? How, how come you... I'm not having anything to do with this ark, if that's the way you're going to act. I... Read the story. I mean, this is how David is responding. And I thought about that, and I thought about, David eats the consecrated bread. God doesn't do anything. He moves the ark. One guy touches it, and he's struck dead. What's the difference? Well, actually, there's a huge difference. And this is where life in the Spirit versus life by the rules comes into confrontation. On the day that David and his company showed up at the temple hungry, they needed food. He was the anointed king to be, and they were in trouble, and they needed food. And David said, I'll take the consecrated bread. And God was fine with that. But David did not move the ark the way the instructions in the law of Moses said to move it. It had four rings, two on each corner, through which you could put poles, and that ark was to be carried on the shoulders of priests by the poles. And that brought great stability, because you've got four guys uh, carrying this that can offset one another, and they can look where they're putting their feet, and they're not having to worry about where the wheels are, because there aren't any. And God's whole point in the ceremonial law, by the way, was to drive home the point that he is a holy God. I mean, the, the Israelites needed to get that message. I am a holy God. Ten Commandments, I'm a moral God. <laughs> there, there's reason for all of this. The dietary rules and regulations You're going to be a separate people, but I'm also going to keep you from having all these other diseases. God had a purpose in all of those things. And so, David could have easily moved the ark the appropriate way, but he chose not to. And in that sense, he disrespected the holiness of God. There was a rule there he could have followed, but he chose, and David knew better. He just had a better idea. And and God said, no, it's not not happening that way. The thing that Jesus is trying to drive home in this whole series of conflicts is you have to be guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. You have to understand what's going on. In the next event, our last story in in chapter 6, Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he's teaching. And by this time, the Pharisees are really looking for the opportunity to nail him. And, and in the synagogue, there is a man who has a withered hand. Now, I, I presume that he was hopeful. I mean, you've got, you've got to see the, the situation. The synagogue in those days um, was probably not any bigger than this room and it was very easy if you were teaching to eyeball everybody you could see everybody and here's this guy and and please note he's he's behaving himself it's the sabbath he's in the synagogue he hasn't asked for healing you know that we know of he's not waving his arm making a scene he's just sitting there but he's got this hand that obviously has a problem and Clearly, there's expectation. Maybe Jesus is going to do something. Meanwhile, there's these Pharisees out in the crowd. Which one of you want to play the Pharisees? (laughs) No, you don't want to be those guys. Well, we got one. (laughs) I got a (laughs) taker. There's these Pharisees out in the crowd. You know, And they're saying, hmm, wonder what he's going to do about this. Here's this guy. This is our chance. If he heals him, we got him. And Jesus sees the look on their face and discerns what's going on in their mind. And he deliberately calls the guy out. Come up here. And and now he's standing in front by Jesus. Jesus is seated. That's how they taught. He's seated. The guy's standing beside him. He looks back out at the group and he says, You tell me. Is it better to save a life or to destroy one on the Sabbath? What do you think? Now, the Pharisees knew the answer to that question. Do you know how they knew that? Because even the law of Moses said, if your ox or whatever falls into the ditch on the Sabbath, you know, they're laying upside down, feet in the air in the ditch, and they're stuck, go get your neighbors and go get the thing. I mean, you can't wait till tomorrow. You've got to take care of this now. And we're going to save the life of the ox. They knew the answer to the question. And what's more important, a human being or an ox, for goodness sake? And the hardness of their heart is such that they're not even... What happens when you're asked a question you don't want to answer? There's just dead silence. And in my imagination, what I imagine happens at this time is, I think Jesus has fire in his eyes. I think he is really ticked. I mean, here's these religious leaders. They're supposed to be the teachers of Israel. And, they're, and they are sitting there just waiting for Jesus to trip up and do something good for this man. And he looks at the man and he says, stretch out your hand. And, and as he, in the act of moving it, his hand becomes whole. And the scripture says... They got him now they've got the evidence they're beginning they've got a problem he's so popular, so loved, so longed for by the people that they can't just bust him right out but they're they've got the groundwork now. they start the plot to bring Jesus to justice as far as they're concerned. It's very interesting in the story of the leper, by the way that the scripture says that when the, the leper came to Jesus, you know, I actually couldn't find this in the Law of Moses. I'm sure some of you will help me out on this. I'm going to keep looking. But I looked for the passage that said you can't touch a leper. There's other things you can't touch that are unclean, but I couldn't find the one that said you can't touch a leper. Right? So, so if you know where that is, you can email me and straighten me out this week, okay? But the, the, the Levitical law had established, uh, and the Pharisees, that you couldn't touch a leper because he was unclean. And our word touch doesn't quite convey it. It almost, it, it almost sounds like Jesus reached out and touched him. But actually, the, the meaning of the word in that early passage where it says he touched him means that he reached out and he touched him. And he... Healed him and cleansed him. Jesus was not afraid to come into contact. Not just contact. He was not afraid to grasp this man. That's what the the verb actually means. He grasped him. He laid his hand on him. And he cleansed him and brought healing. And in all of these ways, Jesus is demonstrating the love of God. I want to ask you a question. What, what, is, what is the ultimate fulfillment of the law? Remember when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? I've heard this a thousand times from me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbors. You love yourself. So which is better to do on the Sabbath? To save a life or to just ignore one? John says, if a person comes to your doorstep and has a need, and you say to him, depart, be warmed and filled, or come back tomorrow, I don't have time to deal with you today. How does the love of God dwell in your heart? When someone is sitting there on the Sabbath day with a need for healing, and you say, ah, it's the Sabbath, I can't do anything for you today, go away, come again another day. Just don't, 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 don't mess up our, our ritual. We can't have any interruption here in the worship. Jesus said, you have really, really missed the point. You have completely misunderstood what this is all about. In fact, he says he was teaching them that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The scripture says that the Sabbath was made for us, not us for the Sabbath. And somehow the Jews had focused their attention on the Sabbath as being like the epitome of the, of the test of religi- religiosity. This, this proves you're a faithful Jew. How well you keep the Sabbath. And, and Jesus said, you guys, you've, you've just missed it. The real test is, are you walking in relationship and communion and fellowship with the Lord? And so, in the midst of that, he tells this story of the wineskins. You ever open the bottle and the orange juice or the milk that's gone bad? You know, the carton has this little poofiness to it, and you open the lid and it goes, <laughs> and you think, uh oh, <laughs> something's growing in there. Well, you know, if you pour new wine, fresh wine's not fermented. You pour it into a new wine skin. Uh, the one stretches and toughens as the other ferments, and it all kind of works together. But if you take an old wine skin and you put new wine in it, as it starts to expand in the fermentation, it's coming apart. It's not going to be able to hold it. And and the same way, if you if you take a garment. And um, you take a brand new piece of cloth, it's not been washed, it hasn't been uh, shrunk, you know, and you put it on an old garment that's shrunk down, uh, and it's already done all the changing it's going to do. As soon as you put that new one on, it begins to shrink. It's going to pull away and tear the old garment. You don't patch an old garment with new cloth. Not in that day. You know, by the time we buy ours, it's been through a lot of processing, but they wove theirs. And there was a lot of changing going on. And Jesus said, isn't it curious (laughs) that people say, but I like the old wine better? Isn't it curious? You read that at the end of chapter 5. People say that. And, And Jesus is getting across the point. People are comfortable in the old way. They like what they're used to. But what they're used to is a system of relating to God... That that distances God and, and bases everything on performance. And he is introducing a whole new paradigm of the kingdom that relating to God is based on communion with him, talking with him, walking with him, fellowshipping with him, listening every moment to the guidance of the Holy Spirit as you live in dependence upon him. And Jesus said, This doesn't fit with the old, they're not compatible. It's not that the Old Testament was wrong. Paul says the law is good if you use it lawfully. It has a purpose. Its purpose was not to make people holy. Its purpose was to convict of sin, to point out why we have a problem, why we need a Savior. The purpose of the gospel is to bring us into relationship with God so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can become Christ-like in our actions. And so there's this total difference. And Jesus says, I, I'm bringing a brand new way, and it's not going to fit with what you're used to. You need a new way of thinking. And for the most part, most people would rather have it the old way. It's easier. Uh, where are you this morning? Are you more comfortable just following the rules, checking off the boxes? Do you think that makes you religious? Well, it may make you religious, but it doesn't bring you into communion with God. Or are you one of those who walks with your ear tuned to the Lord, talking with Him, communing with Him, fellowshipping with Him, and following Him as He leads you? New wine. Are you a new (laughs) wineskin? Are you old and brittle and cracked (laughs) and not ready for the spirit? That's the difference. Father, I pray this morning you give us insight and understanding into the truth. And now as we go back in the coming weeks and look more closely at these, teach us all the wealth that is in these accounts and events. That we might have true insight into your word. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.